0: What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from ndhackers.com, and you're listening to the indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. All right. I'm here with Ben Orenstein, one of the co-founders of Tuple. Ben, how's it going?
1: Dude, it's going great. It's great to be back on the pod. It's great to
0: have you back. It's been... A year and a half, two years. I wanted to have you on last year and then I don't know what happened. A few small things like a global pandemic, you know, things of that that nature. But now you're back. And I want to give people sort of a catch up as to who you are since it's been a year and a half. Uh, And maybe the best way to do this is to sort of retell the story you have on your website. I'm going to try telling it. You tell me what I get wrong. Way back in the day, there was this app Screen Hero. And you could use it to call somebody and share your screen with them. And it was super good. It was fast. It was reliable. It was high quality. Everybody loved it. And in fact, it was so good that programmers would use it to collaborate and write code together in a pair. And then the unthinkable happened. Slack bought Screen Hero and shut it down. So this amazing thing that existed in the world suddenly ceased to exist. And that's where you came in, Ben. You were looking for a startup idea, and you ended up making a modern, sleek Screen Hero replacement called Tuple. And so I think you were last on the pod in late 2019. You hadn't even launched yet. But you've done a bunch of pre-sales, you had beta customers, you were doing something like twenty thousand dollars a month in revenue. That was a little bit over a year and a half ago. Since then, we've had a global pandemic. Remote work has become kind of like the new norm. Uh, where are you at now in terms of like tuples progress?
1: Yeah, we're we're at like millions of dollars a year. COVID was crazy for us. Like the business more or less quadrupled in a month or two, starting in March of, of 2020. And the next couple of months were crazy too. And basically, since then, they're not quite as crazy, but they're like our our growth rate is three x what it used to be. So it's it's been good for us for sure.
0: And how big is your team now? Because it was just three of you in total when I talked to you.
1: Yeah, so I have two co-founders. So it's just the three of us uh, last time. Now we are five full timers and three part timers. So I take it you're you're probably profitable, (laughs) unless you're paying
0: everybody a very very good salary. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely profitable. Cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Like, congratulations. Yeah. I have, I've talked to a few people recently who just had their businesses
1: explode in the last year. And it's like COVID seems to play a role in, in all of them. Totally. I mean, yeah, everything shifted so much. Like, and, and one of the reasons we picked Tuple of, as an idea was that we thought there would be more remote programmers every year. And, you know, it just accelerated at an insane pace where suddenly it was like, oh, guess what? Everyone's a remote programmer.
0: I was going to say it's pretty nice to build a business on a wave that's growing. Like right? it's pretty safe to predict like there will be more software engineers in the future. And even if there even if everybody switches to no code, like they're probably going to collaborate over the internet and need some sort of like pair programming tool and so it's kind of like you're betting on almost a sure thing. And when the market grows to some degree, I mean it's not like you're not doing anything, you're doing quite a lot, but like you could do nothing and there would just be more customers there for you tomorrow.
1: It it also helps with just like thinking about competitors like okay like oh there's people over here doing this and these people over here doing this and it's like yeah but also every month there's more programmers and every month some you know some of them go remote or work from home a bit more or something like that so
0: yeah competitors are funny it's one of these topics that i think uh, a lot of us like will say one thing in public when the reality is very different like paul graham actually tweeted i don't know exactly what he said but it's basically something like when people say that they're flattered by competitors and copycats and like oh this this proves that there's a market uh, the reality is they're actually super annoyed by it because copycats suck. And I read that tweet and I was like, that's so true. Like every time anyone copied indie hackers or anything I was working on, I was just like, this sucks. Like I'm already having a hard enough time like trying to grow this thing. I don't need someone like ripping off my idea, taking my customers, et cetera. Like, but I'll go in public and say like, this just proves that the market exists and it lights a fuel. Uh, it's a fire under my butt that I'm going to work even harder. Like I don't, It's kind of bullshit
1: it is yeah there's this there's like that unflappable magnanimous you know exterior persona and then your your real actual like monkey mind that's you know (laughs) mad and wants to get back at them yeah exactly but you despite
0: having do you have any competitors are there any serious like challenges for tuple
1: so for a while it didn't seem like anyone else was positioning themselves for the pair programming market which is what we go after so like we have built the whole app around the idea that it's for developers doing pairing. It's not generic screen sharing, not generic video conferencing kind of stuff. And there wasn't a lot of people in that space before. There are more now. It's you know, it's it's happening. It's which is not shocking. I was, I was this was to be expected. But you'd prefer if there weren't, right? It'd be great if we'll no nice. was just like, yeah, we don't, we don't want that niche. That'd be the best. But you know, um, I just find it very flattering, and um, it helps validate the market there. <laughs> so I'm glad to see it.
0: But you've got quite a head start, I and mean, you've got like a very Intentional positioning because like I was mentioning earlier like anybody could use this even if I'm not a developer If I wanted to you know be a no code person and collaborate with another no coder I could use tuple, but you've like made like very specifically said This is the re- best remote pair programming app because programmers deserve better Like that's what it says at the top of your home page Which means in a way you're excluding other people who might not be turned on by your messaging and you just don't care It's worth it for you
1: And also just the competitor thing So when people have used tuple for a little bit we asked them what they were using before and ask them if they like tuple better as like a little customer survey and interestingly the people that i consider our competitors in terms of like doing like positioning similar to us and doing a similar thing don't even show up on this list our competitors such that like in the sense of apps that people have used before and are switching to tuple from are basically zoom slack calls hangouts slash meet that's it so it's like, we, I'm aware, I, I'm hyper aware of everyone in this space, right? And so to be, I'm like, oh, these guys are over here doing this. And these guys are over here a little different because they have this angle on it. And most people are just like using Zoom. And so like they try to, but they go, oh, this is way better than Zoom for pairing. And we're like, there we go. You're, you're our customer. It's the same thing that happens to everybody who builds
0: like a to-do list app or productivity app. And they're like, who's our competition? And it always turns out that people are like, oh, I use like sticky notes. Like I'm using like a notepad. They're not even using like the high tech competitors yeah. that everybody's afraid of. So do you feel that uh, in any way being transparent about your numbers, like you didn't share your exact revenue numbers, but like you're happy to go on podcasts and say that you're doing millions of revenue, that your revenue quadrupled. Why do that if you have competitors and you have like not necessarily the best feelings about the fact that these people exist?
1: I sort of don't buy the idea that like just by talking about your revenue, you're going to create savvy competitors out of the air. Maybe at the margin there's someone who like has three different ideas and they listen to this podcast and they go, Oh, well tuple's making millions, I'm gonna do the, the one that's most like tuple. Maybe that I guess. But like if you can just like hear me talk about this and then go create something better than tuple and compete with us <laughs> so effectively that we start to lose customers to you and our revenue goes down. Like, wow, like damn, you were gonna beat us anyway. And like you didn't need me to tell you that, hey, this is a good business to sell programming tools to programmers. It's funny you mentioned savvy competitors because you've got a podcast.
0: And your co-host, Derek <laughs> Reimer, has a company called Savvy Cow, Cal, and he's literally done this thing. So there's Calendly, which many of us use to sort of like, I use this to schedule this podcast call with you. I send you the link, you pick a date that's free on my calendar, super simple. And like, it's got a lot of issues. Like everyone knows Calendly has issues. And everyone also knows that Calendly is crushing it because their founder will go on podcasts and talk about how many millions of dollars they're making. And it just seems from the surface to be a really simple app. And so Derek came <laughs> and built I mean, he's one of these competitors nipping at their heels. He built SavvyCal. I think he just hit, what, $10,000 a month in revenue recently? That's uh, right. And he is yep. a very savvy competitor. I don't know if he's going to crush Calendly into the dust or anything like that. But like, he's certainly
1: making a run for it. That's the thing. But Derek didn't start SavvyCal because he thought Calendly was making a lot of money. He looked at Calendly and said, and talked to customers of Calendly and found some of their dissatisfaction and said, I think there's space for a thing that does things a little bit differently here. It wasn't just like, oh, they're making X million. I want some of that. It was like, I see a gap, and I I think I can execute well in this particular niche. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll come back on the podcast in a few years and say, well, Cortland, I never (laughs) should have mentioned that because I inspired all these copycats that then went out and beat us and uh, overcame our lead.
0: Well, how do you feel now that you have this lead? I mean, I talked to a lot of people who obviously want to be where you are now. I think the last time I talked to you, you would have told me that you want to be where you are now, and that probably would have seemed much more than a year and a half out. Now that you're here, does it feel like you still have like the fire to keep growing the business? Do you feel like you're settled down a little bit? You want to focus more on your personal life? Like what's going through your mind now?
1: Here's the thing that I've been realizing about the startup life or just having a company, which is everyone says like, the highs are high and the lows are low. And I think that's pretty true. Um, Like the highs are higher and the lows are lower than say having a job. But also, there's this peculiar quirk in my brain, and I think a lot of people's brains, which is that as soon as I come down from the high, I don't want to lose any little bit of the high. So, like every time we hit a new high MRR mark, if we go down $1,000, I'm like, oh, oh, that's the worst. Like it hurts so much. Or, like, we drop, you know, we have a big day and a a big customer cancels and it hurts. Or, like, even like a, okay, we signed a big contract with a customer, but you know, uh, it was an unlimited deal, and we're not getting expansion revenue from them anymore. Uh, them anymore. And even though it's a, a huge tra- contract, I still feel the loss of that. So it's just like, it's hard to make yourself happy is one of the things I've realized with like, with like with business success. It's not a good happiness regent.
0: It makes sense. We are animals. We evolved in the wild. We really, really, really didn't like losing things. You know, you gather a bunch of acorns, like you better keep those acorns because you might starve to death. Charlie Munger calls it... uh but like loss, super deprival reaction syndrome, is a funny name for it, but I think psychologists call it just like loss aversion. And it's this idea that like people are much more, much sadder about like losing $1,000 than they are happy about gaining $1,000, which means you have this sort of uh, mindset switch as you like become more successful or gain things that are important to you in life. Or instead of like kind of being the starry-eyed child looking out into the world and saying, what do I wanna do, what can I accomplish? You start thinking like, how do I keep all the stuff that I have and not lose any of it because it's pretty fucking awesome
1: yeah it's so irrational too i was talking to joel my co-founder about this the other, the other day and i was like well what if revenue drops by this much and he was like well if revenue had just gotten to the point of, of that the, the bottom of that drop but it had done it slowly rather than going up and then down if it had gone there directly you would feel totally fine about it And i was like yeah i would feel totally fine it's <laughs> the fact that we went down from a higher number that makes me really upset now and it's just man so like Anyway, I guess the, the big lesson there is like, wow, try, good luck, good luck, but try not tying your happiness to like right. how the business is doing. I mean, I have not had much success with that. Honestly, I'm very tied to it, but I, I'm working on it. I'm like meditating. I'm trying to, you know, do do my waking up app and, and try to be calm and stuff and but- uh, make success. It's
0: hard not to. It's something you're spending, like, it's like your life's work, right? You're spending a great deal of your time and energy and effort on this. It's like hard to to say, like, I care about this enough to spend all my time on it, but not enough to feel any negative feelings when things don't go well. And I think like the trajectory of the change matters too, because, you know, if you hit this revenue number a little bit more slowly, that actually is, I think, better than hitting it. And then like reverting, because if you revert, that means like the trajectory is now going down and like, you don't necessarily know where the bottom is. So part of that is kind of a fear, like, Oh yeah, it went down this month, but also like, will it keep going down? Like, if we like lost some spark? And I think in your particular case, you know, you have any apprehension about the fact that like the pandemic is going to end in some form or fashion, right? Like everybody's getting vaccinated, things are gonna go back to normal. People are gonna work in the office. I just saw something today, like Google's rapidly reopening their offices or something. And like a part of your tailwind has been the fact that like, we've had people working remote, you know? And so like, I could imagine that there might be some like fear in the back of your mind, like, Hey, like maybe this won't last forever. Maybe the good times aren't here to stay. And we're going to go back to like some baseline level.
1: Yeah, that, that that could certainly happen. I'm kind of hoping there'll be residual effects of like people now, you know, want to work a couple of days from home or some some chunk of people will stay home or there'll be more hiring remote now that people have seen it works. So we might not grow as fast as we have during the peak of this when like everyone was forced to. I'd be surprised if we do. But I do think there's, there's still a tailwind caused by that initial event that won't go back down to zero. I think it'll stay. Stick around.
0: Yeah. I have the same, same sort of feeling. And then on a personal level, I'm, I'm trying to, I guess, reconcile my own feelings about like how I feel about the end of the pandemic where it's like, obviously it's a horrible thing and I want it to end. And there's like, it's super isolating to just not be able to see everybody you want to and go to the events you want to. Like I miss live music and I miss uh, a lot of these bigger gatherings that I have with my friends, but like, it's pretty nice, literally never feeling FOMO. Like every day that I stay in, I'm like, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> There's nothing better that I could be doing. And like, that's pretty cool. I love that feeling and like, that's gonna go away. So beyond your company, I've been taking a look at like your personal website. You got a lot of cool stuff you're working on. Obviously you're working on your podcast with Derek, which you already mentioned. That's been going pretty well. I'm a listener. I occasionally catch up. You won, well, I should say you stole from me. In your a face. A very prestigious award. <laughs> you were Microcom's SaaS Podcast Awards Best Show of 2020. I forgot. I won like best host and best episode, but you got the crown. You got the actual. I did. I got like the consolation prize. I did. And you waged like a pretty brutal campaign. It was. Yeah, I know. You waged like you were. You were. uh, It was like attack marketing. You know, I felt personally attacked
1: with a lot of good compliments. Actually, (laughs) I remember our our podcast episode title was "Courtland Allen Must Be Stopped."
0: Yes, (laughs) I saw that in the feed and I did a double take. I thought someone was pulling an April Fool's prank on me, but you did it. I mean, you were all over me on Twitter. You pointed out some very salient hypocrisy and the fact that ND Hackers is all from the ND founder and yet we're owned by what did you say like a giant unicorn <laughs> megacorp something like that <laughs> which I try to hide <laughs> yes. how did it feel winning the uh, the best show award
1: oh it was great I mean uh, I, it's it's so stupid because it's just a made up award but I wanted mm-hmm. it and when I saw we were nominated I was like alright I want this award and it was clear it was like alright Coralind is the heavy hitter on this list he's, my, he's the one I gotta worry about and so what, what better to do than to personally attack him and make unfair allegations <laughs> on Twitter? That's how I understand you win uh, elections these days. So that's what I went for.
0: I'm pretty sure that's how you win and it worked. Yeah. And it was weird for me because I always feel like the underdog. I'm like, wait, I'm, a, I'm the, yeah. the non-underdog in this story. Exactly. What, is, what even is this? Very the strange. Underdog. Mm-hmm. Well, they're doing it again this year and I've got some plans because I didn't even I didn't even sick Ooh. the indie hackers like fan base on you. I said nothing about it on the podcast. I put no ads on the website. I just let it mm. just let it happen. Mm. And I said we'll see we'll see how this naturally plays out. Oh boy. But next year the gloves oh. are off.
1: Good. All right. Let's bring it on. I'm gonna buy a lot of Facebook ads or something. I might put fraud. <laughs> in in a way, you inviting me on your podcast is a huge mistake because now you've exposed my podcast to your listeners. So I'm gonna steal eighty <laughs> percent of them at least.
0: Well, people should go check out your show. What is it? Art of art of product. Ben Ornstein, Derek Reimer. What do you guys do there you basically just talk about you do what we're doing right here you just catch up with each other and explain what's new in your lives
1: two dudes talking this is the two dudes talking format so it's like we're each running startup companies software companies trying to make them work and so each week it kind of come on and say what are you working on what are you struggling with that kind of thing
0: well i love your show dude i think it's really cool and i whenever i see someone who's like very uh successful and they're still running their podcast. I'm always curious, like, what do you get out of it? You know, like, why do this podcast? Is it just like a weekly ritual at this point? Is it moving the numbers in any way? Are you making money from it, or is it just like pure fun?
1: That's a good question. It, it's the closest thing is kind of to fun, honestly. We in the in the early days, a lot of our our first customers came from the podcast. It was like definitely like a good seed for the business. These days, I don't think that I'd be surprised if many people found us through that. I honestly just really like it. I like talking to Derek. I like trying to summarize my week. I like that I can go back almost any length of time and hear a podcast episode of like what I was thinking at the time. Like I, I went f- and for some for kicks to just like listen to like the first episode where I was like, I think I'm going to quit my job and build this thing. And it was just like, it was great to go listen to me and like hear me say stupid things and be like, wow, I was so naive about this or like, wow, I was really bent out of shape about this thing that turned out to be nothing. And it's just a cool uh, record to have.
0: It's super nice. And it's like way easier than doing like, you know, like like a YouTube show or something that's like super like high effort. Uh, and I think more people should do the sort of audio format just for their normal lives. Like, for example, I did a podcast with my friend, Lynn, on indie Hackers, and she just loved so much having a record that was like a snapshot of us at that time. She's asked me, like, ever since then, like, we should just do a podcast, not publish it at all, and just have it between us. And I've seen others doing the same thing. Like the creator of the show, Midnight Gospel, one of my favorite shows on Netflix. Every episode is basically an animated podcast. And like his last episode is one that he did with his mom before she passed away. And it was super emotional and moving and who always have that record. And so I just think people should consider buy a couple of good mics, get people you love and care about, sit down and record something with them and you can always go back and listen to it. And it's just, it's, it's worth its weight in gold, I think. So the other good thing about having a podcast is that you're sort of putting yourself out there. So I was trawling around your personal website and you've got uh, something on your website that I've only seen one or two other people do ever, which is kind of a call to action that says, by the way, I'm searching for an awesome life partner. Know any smart, funny, accomplished ladies, or are you one yourself? Get in touch. And you click the link and it literally just goes directly to your email inbox. So you've created like an almost like a tender for yourself where at any point in time, people can get in touch and you can can find someone to date. And where are you located by the way? You're in in Boston?
1: I'm in Boston, yep.
0: All right, so if any lovely ladies want to date a successful, smart, uh, eligible bachelor with a booming deep voice, <laughs> who makes me sound bad on my own podcast? <laughs> you know where to find him. Uh, what, what was your thinking there? Why did you put a, a dating ad on your on your personal website?
1: It felt like worth a shot. um Some that site gets some traffic, and I I wanted people to know. Like, I actually think being set up is great, and I think meeting people through atypical ways is great. Like everyone's on the dating apps, of course, I am too, but finding somebody through a more organic channel or like a, just a different just a unique way seems good to me it seems worth exploring rather than being tinder profile number five million and honestly it's, it's resulted in some dates like I've, I've had i've been on dates with people it's it's great uh, i had this experience recently where i was on clubhouse talking to my buddy adam wathen and i mentioned being single and someone like dm me afterwards and i was like oh hey you're single like do you want to do a zoom date and i was like absolutely It re- i realized like i'm really underutilizing my audience honestly to find A partner by like not talking about it enough and so i i have a i have a to-do item which is like write up a public dating profile link to it from my twitter bio talk about it on twitter and i'm i'm glad we're bringing this up now because this is like honestly like a kind of the top priority in my life honestly tuple is great and matters and is going well but like gotta i gotta do the dating thing and it feels like a missing piece right now so uh, your exhortation to get in touch with me if uh, you think that seems good? Uh, is I second it. Please do, and please refer your awesome friends to me.
0: Yeah, it's hard to be on the bleeding edge of anything involving dating. Like, let's say you are online dating two thousand one. It was just weird back then. Like, people would give you crap for it. They'd have all sorts of questions. But now, obviously, it's completely normal. I remember being in college actually, in like two thousand five, I think, and Facebook was brand new. And I actually met somebody on Facebook. I don't know how I found her. Like, the features for Facebook were different back then. But I somehow met someone who was a twin like I was, who was also born on March 22nd like I was. And then we just kind of talked and corresponded on Facebook for maybe like eight or nine months. And then she eventually moved to Boston for completely different reasons. And she showed up on campus and we went on a few dates. And it was super cool. And people were like, that's so weird. Like, you just met this girl online. Like, how do you trust her? Like, what if she's a serial killer? You know, people had all these weird questions. But today, like nobody would blink about something like that because everybody dates online. And so it gets me thinking like, okay, maybe Ben, you're just like 5 to 10 years ahead of the curve. And maybe like 5 years from now, it'll be super common for everybody uh, on their Twitter profile to link to you know a personal dating page that they have on their website. And you're just way ahead of everybody. And I should probably be considering stuff like this too because I'm technically single. I date non-monogamously, which means I have multiple partners. But I don't have what we call a primary partner right now. Like, I would love to meet someone to actually spend my life with. And I don't know. I think talking about these things in public probably helps. And I think you're probably onto something where if we have a unique platform, we're like way more likely to be able to take advantage of something like this. And I never really do it. It feels like kind of a no go zone on the podcast because it has nothing to do with what the show is about. It has nothing to do with what my public persona or my tweets are about. And most of my followers are probably guys anyway. But I think you're right. And I think you're smart. And even if it feels a little bit weird, it's probably just ahead of its time. And looked at through another lens, if you are a founder type person, you're probably like kind of predisposed to sort of flaunt societal conventions. Like if you did what society said you should do, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't start a company. You wouldn't be running Tuple. Like you would get a job because that's like the tracks that you're supposed to be on. And anything else is like risky and unproven and might fail and crash and burn. Dating non monogamously is definitely that way. And have to make up your own rules and figure things out and it's a little bit dangerous and scary but also very rewarding and also like using your social profile to sort of meet people although it seems like a total no-brainer it's like for whatever reason like not that
1: not totally. that commonly done there's still some shame around it even like as i'm thinking even as we're doing it now like i still feel like five percent where i'm like is this embarrassing like should i admit this in the <laughs> world like should i say these things
0: if you go to like a bar for example and you're ben seen in a bar there's like literally nothing that separates you from every other random person in that bar besides your height and your good looks, like nothing else separates you, right? And maybe that counts for a lot, but you've done all these other cool things. And there are a lot of people on earth who are aware that you've done these cool things. And like, if you have, you know, all these tools in your arsenal, like why not bring that to the competition basically, which is kind of what dating is in a way, you know, why be on Tinder swiping and just be one face of millions when you can be your own unique thing
1: yeah it feels like a waste to to not do that and honestly like i like i appreciate your openness like talking about your situation because you, you don't know who knows people in seattle like maybe i know someone who's amazing who was looking for a primary partner but dates non-monogamously like that's like and like you just you just i can't tell who in your audience who in the world might be somebody or know somebody that might be a good match so like i want to maximize the possible opportunities to to make that match because you only need one ish
0: basically. Like I was seeing a, a dentist a little while back and she's got both vaccine shots. She's super excited. And we were just talking about dating. She's obviously non-monogamous as well. And she's telling me about how uh, at some point in her past, uh, a friend connected to her, to another person who was like, oh my God, I met another non-monogamous dentist. And it's just like, what are the chances that you, I would meet another non-monogamous dentist in Seattle? So they like, connected the two of them and they wanted like a few dates or whatever. But yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you don't put yourself out there and tell people like what you're about, no one's gonna help you. You're not gonna get any. I'm mean, I gonna give a whole talk about this. How do you make your own luck? And like a huge part of it is you just literally tell people constantly what it is you're trying to do and what you're looking for, and then like magically serendipity happens. And for people who like don't, you know, who aren't transparent, who don't share what's going on with them, who don't ask for help or who don't quote build in public, uh,
1: they just tend to be much less lucky because people literally can't help them because they have no idea what's going on with them. So this is this is actually a great forcing function because I've been meaning to like publish this like dating profile page on my website and now I can make sure to do it before this podcast drops so we can throw a link in the show notes
0: the other thing is that I think your uh, your priorities tend to shift as a founder so I was asking earlier like how do you feel differently now that tuples a success I know that like for me with Indie hackers I don't know I spent like most of my 20s working a lot you know and like I had a lot of really good fun vacations and trips and experiences with friends and whatnot but like to some degree I definitely sacrificed some of my personal life to like chase professional goals and now I'm 33 and it's like hey I should I should reverse that you know like professionally I'm doing really well I feel super secure like there's a lot I want to accomplish but like I want to figure out like a really good living situation where I can be near as near as possible to friends and family and cool people I want to like travel a lot and like have lots of new experiences like I want to use the sort of things I've accomplished to just live a better life you know I want to like meet a really great partner and it's much easier to sort of notice the absence of these things and to focus on them once you've gotten to a point where your company doing really well at least in my experience
1: super true yeah I mean it honestly feels a little bit like a waste where it's like I can I have all this flexibility I could go take an amazing trip by myself like or like I, <laughs> I can like I can leave work at noon on a Wednesday and go home by myself like it's, <laughs> it's not nearly as cool to have these things without uh, someone awesome to do them with and like I do stuff with friends a lot and you know have friends I'm very close to and that, that helps helps quite a bit but it's definitely not the same. So yeah, I, like you, my my focus is is definitely shifting.
0: So you mentioned being on a clubhouse call with Adam Wadden and it sort of came up, but I was scrolling through your tweets and you've been on like a, a few different clubhouse calls recently. For example, you had one that was called uh, Money and Emptiness. Justin Jackson <laughs> tweeted that he was going to do this room with you and I wasn't there. Yeah. I have no idea what you talked about, but like that's the most clickbaity title I've ever heard. Like I was instantly like, what are they... <laughs> What's the the topic of this conversation? What'd you talk about? So I, now that I've got you here, I can just ask: like, What's the most memorable part of that conversation? What was going on?
1: Yeah, it really is just that. Like, it's not going to make you happy. Reality for me, again, it's just it's so cliche, and everyone hates. And it's even cliche to say that saying this is cliche. This is just like an infinitely <laughs> nested cliche. There's no way out of it. But here we are. Which is like, yeah, I'm making more money than before. It's really cool. I'm now like, as soon as I hit a new level, I'm instantly used to it. It feels normal. And the idea of going down at all sucks. And like, if the dividend is lower next month, next quarter, I'm like, oh man, we didn't hit the same levels last time. It's like, man, it's just, there's just no, there's very, I mean, there's very little happiness to be had there. There's, there's some fun. There's some financial comfort. There's sleeping better at night. Definitely. But like my brains, I think are just not so wired to be like, ah, yes, that is enough resource. Uh, I've now reached contentment and happiness, and uh, we're good here. Totally diminishing returns. But so Justin, um, had a different feeling of that, and he was like, no, no, I, I've my stress levels have gone down a ton since like going from like X to Y, <laughs> and I was like, well, Justin got married at like 19 and had like five kids starting at 20 or something. Like he started having kids really young and has, I think, five of them. And so like his finances and my finances are very different. Like I, I've been single for a long time. I have no dependents. Like I was a programmer before this. And so it's like, I've always, yeah, I felt pretty comfortable for a long time.
0: In a way, it's like the contrast. Like he needed to have to be in sort of a bad place where every business has to work because he's been very entrepreneurial despite having a bunch of kids and stuff. And so like to go from like this huge... I don't want to say negative, but like you know, very far away from where he is today. Transistor, I think, is also uh, making millions of dollars a year. Uh, to where he is now, like that's a crazy change. Where to go from like a successful single software engineer who like doesn't want for money, you can eat anything you want, you can live pretty much anywhere you want, to now having like this very successful business, which is great and like it's an accomplishment, but it's not like a million miles removed from where you were. Like it's not gonna, it's not gonna permanently change your life and leave you in this permanent state of awe. And I think it's a cliche because like. The fact of the matter is, when you're not there, it still feels like bullshit. Like if you had asked me five years ago, well, how I'd respond to that person who said that, I'd say, "Oh, it's easy for you to say because you're there, right?" But it, once you you are there, then it's like, okay, I get it. You know, like, this is not. There's other things in life, right? And then after dating, let's say you have like the perfect partner, that's going well. There's still other categories in life that matter too, right? Some would say like, you know, mental health or spirituality. There's also like your own like solo sort of like hobby endeavors. Uh, I tweeted this thing maybe the last time you are on the podcast is around when I was like taking chess lessons before chess got super huge because of that Netflix show. I was just like, you know what? Uh, I want to learn how to play chess because my friend keeps beating me. So I'm like, I want to beat him. And I started taking chess coaching lessons and I had some very mundane tweet about how I was paying a guy 30 bucks an hour to teach me chess. And it blew up. It's my most popular tweet of all time. It's like 2000 likes. And I remember you responded to it. You're like, I love one-on-one coaching. It's my favorite thing. But you didn't say what it was that you pay for one-on-one coaching for. And so I didn't know for the longest time until I started listening to your show. Uh, but it seems like you've got like a few things, and like I'm curious about like what those are and like why you pay for for coaching.
1: Yeah, improving at things rapidly causes more dopamine in my brain than almost anything. It's basically my favorite thing. Like I love mastering a new skill or like rapidly improving at a new skill. I don't have to master it. It's just like you know going from where I am to better. And so usually one on one coaching is like kind of the fastest way to progress at a thing. So I love being coached on a thing and someone pointing out, nope, that's not an efficient way to do that. You should do this instead. And so like I get, I've had one-on-one coaching for a lot of things. Um, I try to get it for almost everything like that I get into. The latest example that probably is maybe uh, illustrative of how much I like coaching is I've been playing this game called Overwatch. which is a video game and you play and uh, we play once a week and I take video recordings of our games and then I pay a coach to record a video critiquing our play and telling us how to do it better next time. So like I want coaching for everything. I want coaching for video games. I, I want co- like I've got I get voice lessons. like I've, I've used to get voice lessons squash lessons just to like whatever I'm into at the time whatever hobby is occupying me like I want to get better at it as quickly as possible.
0: Super smart and I love that feeling of like getting better at stuff. So for me for a little while it was chess and then I was like okay I'm pretty good at chess this is fine like I don't want to be like a master or anything I'll take years and years and years. Other things are like this podcast. Like I don't have a podcast coach, but I have like a. I hired a podcast boss, who I've talked about on the show before. who's just kind of sits down with me. She watches me come up with topics and questions and put guests, and she just like keeps me honest. And it's kind of cool. It's almost like a, a little, you know, person on my shoulder who's telling me like the right thing to do, even as I'm doing the wrong thing and like trying to convince myself that it's right. And uh, I guess there's an argument to be made for that anything in life that you actually care about, where you have the funds to get a coach, like why not? get a coach like i want to get better at cooking like why don't i have a cooking coach i want to get better like at my athletic training and nutrition like why not hire a nutritionist and a personal trainer if i can afford it right in a way it's kind of like i can't explain why i haven't you know maybe it's fear maybe it's just pure laziness but it would make perfect sense to do it and it's like maybe i'm afraid that if i have a person who keeps me honest i'm gonna have to do the work that i'm (laughs) a little bit scared of doing
1: yeah i mean the thing I've, i've learned about coaching is like it's often more affordable than you might guess Like you don't, doesn't have to be every week, doesn't have to be all the time. Like you can get occasional sessions, but it's just so, I find it so delightful to have my eyes opened to a thing that was like kind of invisible to me before when I was working with a squash coach, he would like record me playing and he'd be like, you see what you're doing right here? Like the way you're taking this step instead of that step, like notice how like now you're all messed up and you don't have enough room to swing. And it's like, ah, like the, the experience of going through the learning process of like now seeing a thing that I couldn't see before. And then like still making the mistake, but at least seeing the mistake. And then you start to anticipate the mistake and then you don't do the thing anymore. Like now you're just at a new level and now you're looking for new mistakes. Ah, it feels so good. I I just love that feeling.
0: Yeah, you've got coaches and they can basically spot everything that you're doing wrong way easier than you. And for them, it's like super easy. And for you, it's like a struggle. And like, you're right, it's also like kind of affordable. I was looking into like uh I was talking to Lee Jen about this a few episodes back about like getting like a, a personal chef, which is not a coach, it's just someone to literally cook for you. But it's like actually like you would think this is like the most luxurious thing in the world, like you've gotta be basically Scrooge McDuck to afford this. And it's like, no, it's kind of the same cost as a personal trainer plus the cost of ingredients. And you get someone to come over and like cook you a bunch of meals. And I've been thinking about like startup ideas around this where there could just be so much more I don't know, education and teaching. Like there are just so many people in the world who are good at things and who probably don't like their jobs, but they would be very enthused to teach people about the things that they're good at. Like they're really good at crocheting or they're really good at like, I don't know, taking care of plants. Like I just bought a whole bunch of plants for my place. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I went to the nursery. I asked them what's easy to grow. Like they gave me some recommendations. I've half killed some of them already, even though these like among the easiest plants, but like I would pay someone who loves plants to come over, you know, once a month and give me recommendations Like go do this, do that, buy some more plants, get these, or just like go plant shopping with me. And like that could be a profession, you know. And they're not going to be super rich. They're not going to make a hundred bucks an hour. But like, I don't need them so often that I, I need to that I would shy away from paying like kind of a high rate, you know. Maybe I only need them an hour a month, you know. And so I I wonder if there's room to build more and more platforms where you can essentially find people who have all these like niche interests who are really good at things and just let them make a living as coaches doing the thing that they love enough to be good at in the first place.
1: I think I've already seen sort of niche versions of that general idea. So like maybe the, maybe the general thing of like, we are the the repository of all coaches uh, is a hard, hard nut to crack. But I mean, that there's sort of the seeds where it's like, okay, like I found my Overwatch coach on a site that matches people with video game coaches. So like this, that particular slice is like apparently enough to sustain some sort of business.
0: I found my chess coach on like a chess website where you go to play chess, but also had just like a listing for coaches. Like I should probably do this on any hackers. Like you want a business coach? There are a lot of people who love their SaaS applications and who love talking to people about it, especially people who are serious. Let's just be a director and any hackers hire this person for however many dollars a month or whatever, and they'll talk to you about your
1: business and give you like one-on-one feedback. That's interesting. I mean, I've, I've honestly considered offering that kind of service to people because like I love, like it, it's it's fun to talk about SaaS and offer people advice and, and and do things. It's the easiest part is the advice, but like there's just enough activation energy where I'm like, I don't really want to advertise it and figure it out and all that. So I don't know. I'm, I, would, I would consider it if you had an easy thing to plug into.
0: Yeah. It's all like the meta work. If you could just like basically click a button and there's a call and you know who it's going to be and you got like a little briefing of what they what they need and you could just talk to them and you don't have to do any of the work sourcing people or getting paid or whatever, then suddenly it's worth doing. And like who wouldn't listen to you talk, right? You've grown your business to millions in revenue like super quickly. Pretty much like 99% of founders never get to that point. And so it would be like rewarding for you probably. Maybe the downside is that you'd be spending even more time on startup stuff and less time dating and doing your personal life. Yeah,
1: right. That's that's a good point. Also, in classic mom test fashion, you definitely can't trust me when I say that I would totally use that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go out and just build this whole thing.
1: Yeah, in actuality, I kind of am
0: busy, actually. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, dude, I'm not going to use this. But I don't know. I I think it's an interesting idea and I like to explore it. I think looking at where you've come... It's cool to do this catch-up episode. Hopefully, I can get you back on. We can catch up, like, at least a couple times a year to see where you're at. But uh, I'm pretty blown away by how far you've come. And, you know, we talked about COVID driving a lot of the growth and a lot of the traffic. But people are going to be pissed off at me if I don't at least ask you some questions about, like, how did this happen? You know, like, what what did you guys do at Tuple to sort of drive this growth? Uh, So what besides COVID, what besides, like, this huge shift to remote work has gone really well for you in the past
1: year? One thing that we did that I think was good was we hired a salesperson. I'm a programmer by training. And so I was getting these sales leads from people wanting to like purchase like annual plans or things or buy tuple from larger companies. And I have a hard time being patient with those people. It's an extremely inefficient process for large companies to buy most large companies to buy things. And so I would like try to be like, how do we do this really efficiently? And like, I would try to like change their process or like be kind of ornery and like refuse to give them things they would ask for. And I'd be like, that's just, what are you talking about? And so that's not the best way to treat your leads probably. Uh, so we we hired a salesperson who just like doesn't mind this stuff. Like he, he doesn't mind that he has to sign up for a stupid website and then like punch in the invoice manually rather than just like send him the Stripe invoice and have him pay with the credit card. Like he's like, he doesn't love it, but he doesn't mind it. And like, I hate it. And so it's like, it took something that like I hated that the business kind of should have someone doing and like had someone do it who doesn't mind it. And I was like, ah, that was, yeah, there we go. Delegation. That's, that seems to be how what this is for. I think
0: it's pretty magical when you can learn that when you learn that you can hire someone who is not only like better at certain things that you didn't think anyone would be better at you but then they actually like some of the stuff that you didn't like, like our community manager for uh indie hackers, she actually just left, she was here for like two years. She turned to like a celebrity and just graduated and I was like, peace guys, (laughs) which is kind of cool to see. But uh, she's just super good at running community. And she does like a lot of the personal tedious things on the forum that I'm just like, I hated doing. And she loved doing it. It was like her favorite thing to wake up in the morning and do. And like, that's just mind blowing to like unlock that when you've spent years probably grinding away in your startup,
1: doing everything by yourself. I knew sort of intellectually that like there was a reason companies hired people. But when it came to it, I was like, kind of emotionally like yeah, but like no one's going to do this thing as well as I can. Or like, Will we ever be able to find a good person that does X? Like no one likes to do sales. That's It's so annoying. And I was like, no, you, you dumb, dumb. Um, so that's been like a kind of a, a good thing for me over this course of the, the year, which is like as we started hiring people, it's like, oh yeah, I'm starting to see and appreciate at a more visceral level, the power of delegation. And also just the fact that like, it's like a win, 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 where it's like, I don't have to do this thing anymore. This thing is getting done and it's getting done by someone that likes it and is good at it.
0: So what's the future look like? Is there a point where you like hire yourself out of Tuple and you can kind of just sort of watch the machine run by itself or is that not something you'd want to do?
1: I don't know. Um, it's not clear. Like it's... I have a hard time projecting that like into the future that much and knowing like what it's going to feel like. I could see doing that. Like I have friends who've run businesses where they eventually hire management teams to run them and they they just, you know, advise basically. And that seems pretty cool if, if, if I got... T- <laughs> It's probably going to come down to like kind of novelty and interest where it's like, as long as my day-to-day changes and I have new things to learn and new stuff to get coached on um, and improve at, then I'm probably good for a while. And a company so far seems to be a very good vehicle for that because it keeps changing. Like the thing you need to do each month to be successful is different uh, and the challenges are different and it's different every time we hire a new person. But I think at some point I I could see myself being like, you know what? I'm tired of thinking about pair programming. Uh, And I I just, I'm really excited about this other idea over here. And at that point I might, you know, there's, there's a few options of how you step back and what it looks like. Um, But it would probably, it'll probably happen at some point.
0: I think about that all the time too. And it's so hard to figure out like, what would the next thing be? Because there's a bunch of different options. Like do you just pick something like Peter Levels, for example, he's just a craftsman who just likes working on things that he can perfect and that he's curious about. And so he's not like trying to like one up his former self. He's just like, oh, this is really cool. Like I want to experiment with, you know, this new technology or this new trend, et cetera. And like, that's what motivates him. And he's like super locked into that. Whereas like another approach is like to just one up your previous self. You know, I built a company to millions in revenue. Like, let me start a VC funded unicorn company and see if I can just go big, you know? As cliche as that is to do, there's a lot of validity to that, you know? Like why not set your sights higher once you get to a certain level, you know? Like once you graduate high school, you want to go to college. And then there's another approach, which is just completely leave the domain altogether. Like you've had your life as a tech founder and software engineer, like now you're gonna have your life as like a singer songwriter or as a you know a novelist or something. And it's like it's hard to pick which one you want, you know. But it's also cool to be in the position where you could probably live multiple lives, like multiple careers,
1: because you're able to uh, sort of find success in one at a young age. That's such a lucky thing to have. And, and I, I don't really worry about finding the next thing because I, I just. I eventually get into something. like my. I just love new stuff. And so I think and like t- the, the thing with Tuple was like, I, I wasn't like, okay, I got to start a company. What are we going to do? It was like the idea for Tuple was there. And it was like, I think I have to do this. And so I don't think I would be like, okay, I want to leave Tuple and go do another thing. Let me just kind of figure it out. I think I'm just going to like get distracted by a thing and be like, oh man, I'm kind of obsessed with this. I feel like I kind of have to do this <laughs> thing and then I'll have to figure out what, what to do at that point.
0: Uh, what's your advice for founders who aren't in your position yet, but who might someday be in your position, You are maybe like on the verge of achieving like the success that they've been dreaming of. Uh, what do you think they should take away from kind of what you've learned in the past year and a half running Tuple and seeing it grow to such a large size?
1: It'd be great if there were just like kind of one or two things that I knew that were like a secret that I could just like whisper to people and then like it would work for them too. But like I don't know. I think we did a lot of small things right. So like, you know, make sure to do a hundred things right is like not helpful advice. like our path, it's so hard for me to tease apart. Like what were the things that were like key choices? What was kind of luck? What did we succeed despite of? It's like, uh, it it would be, I think kind of unfair for me or like just not really genuine for me to be like, ah, here you go. Here's your one or two quips that will uh, send you on your way.
0: But in a way that is like a single quip, which is like there was no single thing. And if you're a founder and you're doing like a hundred little you can't escape from uh from the question. If you're a founder doing a hundred little things, we'll reduce you <laughs> to uh, to
1: a small anecdote. To
0: one quip, to one yeah. small anecdote that we can yeah. take out of context that everyone can disagree with you on Twitter. Well, folks, you've heard it here first on the Index Podcast. A bunch of potentially useless advice, but maybe good advice. You we we're not really quite sure. Uh right. Ben, thanks for coming on and shooting the shit with me and doing sort of a, a funky catch up episode. and hopefully you'll come on again
1: dude i'd love to it's always fun it's 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 quite a pleasure and uh good luck this year at uh trying to win some awards
0: (laughs) yeah i'll see you in the uh, SAS podcast awards 2021
1: gloves are off this time sounds good bring it